Welcome to the Retaining Wit Podcast. I'm Josie Haynes. And I'm Jordana Kwok. This show tackles the challenges of keeping women in tech. Each episode, we discuss current events, experiences in the industry, and what it takes to create a workplace where women will thrive. Hey, Jordana, welcome back. It's great to catch up. Yeah, happy 2022. Actually, happy 2023. <laughs> I know it's the beginning of the year and it's already and I still am messing that up too. Uh, how are things going for you? It's been what, six or seven months since we recorded our season one uh, welcome back episode. Yeah, it's been great to see the positive reception to our relaunch and season one episodes. Thanks to our guests, we were able to cover a broad set of topics, and it sparked a lot of interest in our various communities. Also, I definitely want to thank all the listeners who have kept up with the content and given us feedback to make our next season even better. Yes, it's been really exciting. And we definitely interviewed some very talented women who it was great to learn more about. And I'm excited for our upcoming season as well. Yeah, there is definitely a lot going on in the industry right now, which we should chat about. But I, I'm curious how things are going for you with your newly launched business. Things are going well. In December, I decided that, you know, I was my focus is retaining women in tech. And it's really twofold, right? One is we need to empower women to thrive, you know, which is what we really talk about on this podcast. And then the other half is really building inclusive and high performing teams. And I realized I love talking about building inclusive and high performing teams in my public speaking. But my coaching passion was really around coaching the women in tech. So in December, I decided, hey, my focus for the coming year is to be growing that side of the business. And it's been going great. Um, I've been doing my LinkedIn lives now for I think about four months. Um, I've been doing them weekly and talk, talk, covering a number of issues and ways for us to thrive. And it's been going great. And uh, I'm really excited to see where this year is going to go. I'm hoping to launch a group coaching program by the middle of the year. So yeah, I'm excited to, to, to help women thrive in tech this year. How about you? I know you uh, recently started at Airbnb. So I'm sure that's been very exciting for you. Yeah. And you might have remembered me asking what next in my career at the beginning of the last season. When I stepped back to think about it, it, it really came down to whether I felt like I was still learning. That's the biggest thing for me. Um, it, it really gets progressively more difficult when you've been at a company for almost a decade, since you're just so used to the business and the environment and the things that made it challenging just aren't as exciting as they once were. So yeah, in the summer, I think I really then started to kind of explore different roles, talk to different companies. Airbnb certainly was one of them, talked to some other companies as well. And at that time, I think the industry was already going through some challenges. I think there were a lot of hiring freezes. I think even some companies had started layoffs. I think Snap was one of them. And the financial markets turned bearish. So that was something I kept at the back of my mind as I explored new roles. And I remembered seeing so much advice online about uh, staying put when you're in a stable role. And I had to keep reminding myself that my 80-year-old self would want me to take more risks. And at the end of the day, when I, when I looked at Airbnb, the role they had open really matched what I was looking for, and it really took advantage of my expertise. 
The other thing that was really important to me was the culture of the company and in particular, whether they fostered an inclusive and diverse environment. It just happens that belonging is a core part of Airbnb's mission, which goes beyond simply being inclusive and really encourages more authenticity. And so I've been at Airbnb now for two or two and a half months and onboarding has been going great so far. It really was the change I needed. I feel like a sponge again, like, you know, when you're learning new things, meeting new people, all that excitement that goes along with it. Yes, I love that. And for me, learning is such a passion as well. And I think that's one of the things I'm really enjoying about growing my own business is I'm learning about all of these different things that I'd never taken the time to learn. I now know much more about marketing than I think I ever did before. And I have much more appreciation for my old marketing and sales <laughs> colleagues who used to work with me. And I'm with you. It, it does feel like absorbing all this knowledge is amazing. And then it's a I, I then end up getting to share it with others because it's fascinating. Some of the things that I learn as a business owner, I realize are very applicable leadership lessons as well. And I recently was listening to an episode about stopping overthinking, which is something that I've been doing a little bit of as I've been kind of planning uh, my marketing strategy. And I realized, wait, this is actually a great tip for my listeners as well. And so I love learning because then I can teach it to other people and it helps me and them. Yeah, that's awesome that you're expanding that skill set. Like I think engineering, like when you've been in it for so long, you don't see the other supporting functions that go along with it, including marketing. And it's funny it's showing up in, in your role, but it's also showing up in my role at Airbnb where marketing is such a huge thing around brand perception and creating a, a narrative that really ties it back to the mission. And in some ways, this makes us a better engineering leader because then we can really understand what the other functions truly need from us. And it really helps us put it in more in mind in the customer point of view as well. Yeah, it's quite unfortunate, however, since we were on the topic of industry events and in particular layoffs that functions like marketing, like uh, recruiting often get hit when there's a riff or reduction in force. I'm curious why you think a lot of this is happening right now. So it's interesting you bring that up. I actually just published an article about this a few days ago, and there was a couple interesting things that I found while, while researching it. Um, one is obviously a lot of folks don't consider marketing and HR and recruiting core and as essential as product and engineering. So they unfortunately tend to be some of the first ones to get laid off. And now this ends up being compounded by the fact that where do a lot of the minorities and women end up in tech? In these sorts of roles where they most likely can be more quote unquote, nurturing or, or more more aligned with, you know, what women are supposed to be doing, right? And now this is having a double impact because of the layoffs. And a lot of companies are basically completely regressing in any diversity progress they've made in the last few years. In fact, the Women Tech Network just did an analysis of, I believe, 50 companies in tech and their layoffs and found that 69.2% of the people laid off were women. Wow. 
And this is like across all the different functions, because like you said, there's a disproportionate number of women and, and minorities in the supporting functions. Yep. And so this has really been, you know, all these companies made all these diversity commitments back in 2020. And now we're kind of seeing those all fading away and nobody's really talking about it. And especially these layoffs, if done improperly and not taking in diversity into account, is actually having the industry go backwards. I remember back in Q1, Q2 of last year when Netflix experienced its first quarter earnings miss. And it was a pretty big surprise to the financial market since it was the first time in a decade, I think, that it lost subscribers. So the company had to do layoffs to bring costs down to be more in line with the projected revenue. And I remember actually the company did do an internal equity analysis of the people being laid off and found that women and other minorities weren't being disproportionately impacted. But I didn't see the numbers myself and they weren't shared. So my hope is that companies who are doing these studies and publishing them, that they're not just spinning the data in the way that might be hiding what you're seeing. Absolutely. And I think it's not just inequity and who is being laid off. It's also thinking about how the layoffs are occurring, right? Especially if, let's say you did focus the last two years on hiring for diversity, and then you're having a, you know, last in first out policy. Well, now the majority of the people you may be impacting, again, it could be women and underrepresented minorities. So again, taking that into account, looking at, hey, how are you doing compensation for the, these layoffs is it equitable, right? Are you do you have at least a fair you know base that you're you're giving everybody, and then you know you can give extras for years of experience, but making sure you're taking all of these different things into account while doing the layoffs. I mean, at the root of it, a lot of the layoffs I think originated from the fact that companies overhired during the pandemic since they didn't actually anticipate slower growth due to macroeconomic conditions like higher interest rates and inflation. And, and headcount is typically the highest expense on a balance sheet. So the reduction in force is a way to cut costs in anticipation of lower revenue. That said, the big tech companies like Google and Microsoft are still posting billions in profits so I can understand why many people feel frustrated at the disconnect. Absolutely. Right. And I think during the pandemic, companies overhired because they assumed this this new world where everybody works from home like that's that's never going to go away. Right. And so there was all this overhiring to, to satisfy those needs. But in reality, companies just went into it without thinking or looking or really considering, yeah, maybe things aren't going to go back to somewhat normal or at some point, right? And so I think the tech companies themselves did a huge disservice. And to your point, right, these companies were having what 30 40% profitability. And maybe now it's what 10 or 20%. Okay, you're still bringing in millions or billions of dollars. So why can't you help your employees write it out as well? Yeah, I think this is where especially the big public tech companies are optimizing for shareholder value at the expense of human capital. 
And so I do think that when this started, it kind of gave permission to other companies to jump on the bandwagon. I mean, when I think about the, the approach, the how this is being done as well, like I almost feel like, for example, Twitter, that was the most reckless handling of layoffs in recent memory. And I think it let other employers get away with taking this very impersonal approach to layoffs that at the end of the day really lacks human dignity. Absolutely. And one of the things that I thought was really telling was, you know, a lot of companies have been, hey, let's get everybody back into the office. We need that FaceTime. It is so crucial. But yet, everyone's being laid off. Not everyone, but at these same companies that say FaceTime is so important, they're laying people off via an email. And this isn't just recent employees. This is employees with 20 years of experience being laid off via an email. And what does that say about the company's beliefs around FaceTime and, and the importance of that if they don't even do it when during a crucial point in somebody's career? I don't know if you read much on the Google layoffs and how impersonal they've been, especially there wasn't a lot of transparency around why. I think people have all sorts of theories how they approached it. But what was astonishing was the employees in the New York City office, they couldn't even check their emails and had to physically try to badge into the office to see if they were impacted. You know, and I've heard of people getting laid off via Slack messages while they're on vacation, right? You know, and this isn't being human, right? We're, we're supposed to be building, you know, amazing technologies to help people. And yet, we can't even take into account the people that work for us, right? And so I think it's been very sad um, in the, the tech industry and seeing all these companies that haven't been handling it well. I actually have to say there's some examples, thankfully, of companies that are handling this well. And I'm going to call out Apple as a great example here. And, you know, I'm not always the biggest Apple fangirl, but I actually think Tim Cook did a great thing here. First, they did not overhire during COVID. The, Apple's always been conservative with hiring, right? Even during my Siri days, I think my Siri music team was five or six people. And at the same time, like the Alexa music team had been like 40 people, right? And this was a long time ago. And I think Apple's always had kind of that conservative hiring policy. And what it's meant is right now, Tim Cook is taking a pay cut. And they are not doing layoffs at Apple, which I think is great. Um, and I wish I saw more fang companies doing that. Um, and I know you mentioned Stripe as another example. Do you want to share more about that? Yeah, from a messaging perspective, I think a lot of people have pointed to Patrick Collison's email uh, to his employees on the layoffs. And he really focused on the employees themselves. And really thought about how to get them to land on their feet versus making it more about himself. So I think the messaging was handled pretty well there. On the other end of the spectrum, there was the announcement from PagerDuty where the CEO invoked uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that was <laughs> like just tone deaf. So I, I think even from a messaging perspective, there could be a lot to learn here, even if the handling internally is kind of still being worked through. But yeah, I, I think companies are often optimizing for different things. So maybe for Google's case, it was for speed and mitigating risk against retaliation. 
Because I can imagine like if you heard that, hey, you're getting laid off and you're still around, you have access to all of their <laughs> critical systems, someone could bring it down. I think that happened at Twitter. I think someone was being told they were laid off and they banned a bunch of people <laughs> on their way out. So I can see that. But it's also at the expense of human dignity when you're going for that speed because it becomes like, hey, here's one message and you're cut off versus really thinking about okay, how can I provide face-to-face -face time with the person being impacted? Right. And for any of these companies who are claiming they have an inclusive culture and a, a, a workforce that cares about belonging, this is completely contrary to that, right? And think about the fact next time you are on a hiring spree, right? The the economy will get better someday, right? Like we've seen these cycles multiple times. This this we will get better. We will start hiring again. What are future employees going to look at, right? Are they going to remember how they their previous potential colleagues had been treated? I think people certainly remember, especially given all of the emotions involved, but I suspect it might be lost on the next generation of workers. Yeah, and so, you know, we've been talking about these layoffs, and, and I think it would be great to share some of the tips for folks who have been laid off and how, how to thrive still, you know, because it is a hard time, right? I, I remember the first time I was laid off, and I was distraught. I had, I was young in my career. I, I was three years in. This is, you know, the bust after the dot-com boom, right? And I remember having the, the HR person hand me a copy of, uh, what is it? How to Move Your Cheese or whatever that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. book is. And I just wanted to be like, F you. Like, why are you handing me this? Like, and and so it can be really hard, but it really made me realize it wasn't about me was the first thing, right? It, it really wasn't about me. And once I took some time back, I really actually ended up finding a role where I thrived afterwards, right? And so, and it also gave me time to, to reflect and think about, hey, what do I really want? And so I know layoffs can be horrible. And so, but it's a great time to network and connect and also give yourself a little bit of self-care. Yeah, I think this is tough for people who are on work visas or on some kind of, you know, timeline that they need to meet. Maybe they have family obligations, like if they don't have income, maybe they're the sole breadwinner for the family, that they would need to not even be able to sit back and have that time to reflect and jump into the job market. But I think something to certainly be aware of is when there's still that trauma and that feeling around it being your fault, it does come across in many of the interviews. And I think that's the tough part, right? I think it, there needs to be that time to really digest as much as possible and reaching out to your network or maybe other people who have been impacted, how they are dealing with that can certainly help. And again, I think the, the first and foremost thing is really having the job opportunities and knowing that, hey, there are opportunities still out there. I think you mentioned 
that employees are finding new jobs in three months' time. Yeah, there was a recent article a few weeks ago. I'm going to see if I can find it and link it in the show notes for this episode. That, yeah, for folks who had been laid off, I think the article had looked up through like October or November, people in tech were on average finding a new job in three months. And there was actually an article in the Mercury News a few weeks ago saying there was actually job growth in California in December, and 84% of it was in the Bay Area, most of it in tech. So yes, we're, we're seeing all these layoffs, but there are companies hiring, I think, especially the smaller companies. I'm seeing a lot of like series A through C, like they are hiring. Yeah, hopefully that will provide people with a bit more confidence that you can take that time to really reflect on what has happened and that those jobs are still going to be out there. And based on my conversations with people I know in the startup community, they are so eager to find this talent and hire. So I'm really happy for the startups that will be benefiting. Yeah. And, you know, especially if you're maybe feeling a little bit of the trauma, networking can be a way to help you work through that while still making progress on finding that next role. Right. And so sometimes I think, especially for me as an introvert, like when I when I get upset, like I sometimes shut down, I don't want to talk to anybody. Right. But sometimes if you can work through that discomfort, it can actually make you feel better And in this case, networking is a great way to potentially find opportunities, right? There are still tons of unlisted roles. Like, even though I'm literally not even looking, I had three unlisted VP level roles presented to me in the last like two weeks, right? So so they are out there. Again, I found them because my network told me about them. Yeah. And the most common way to network is on LinkedIn, reaching out to your existing network and getting more connections through that. But also joining communities like the CTO community is a great one for women and other underrepresented genders. It's a really good way to see what opportunities are out there because community members post about these unlisted roles like the ones you received. Yeah, I actually have an Airtable that has a I think around 50 or 60 uh, communities for women and other underrepresented minorities. I usually share it with folks when they're looking for hiring, but I'll toss it into the show notes because I think it could be a great way for folks to find communities that they could be a member of. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I know we've talked a lot about um, the folks who have been laid off, but I also wanted to touch on tips for folks who are surviving layoffs because there's definitely sometimes some survivor's guilt. And so I'm curious, do you have some tips that you've shared with folks around this? Yeah, I think a lot of people deal with the guilt differently. And some people are like, hey, I'm available. I'm a resource. I've seen a lot of posts on LinkedIn where they are actively dealing with it by trying to help the community. I think that's one way, certainly. But there are also others who are actively just connecting with one another, forming their own community within the companies to get through this. I know that there are ERGs that can get people together to have open spaces to share those feelings. And I know some companies have therapists who can come in to help people deal with the emotions. Absolutely. And I think the key thing is... Do not feel guilty about having feelings around this. I think so often we can be like, well, I survived this layoff. Like, it's 
awful of me to be having these negative emotions. But no, we're, we are all human, we are all allowed to have these emotions. And the more we push our emotions away, actually, the longer it's going to impact us. So especially if you are feeling some survivor's guilt, give yourself the time to process, right? Accept the fact, hey, it is 100% okay to be having these feelings and, and give yourself the time, the space, whether it is maybe you need to go for a walk in the middle of the day if you feel overwhelmed, right? So often we don't give ourselves permission to have our feelings. And so this is the prime opportunity to allow yourself to feel these feelings and let them go eventually. Yeah. And for some people, maybe it isn't about going on social media right. to offer this help. Maybe it is actually completely disconnecting from it because mm -hmm. the news is just so overwhelming around all of these layoffs. And you're seeing in your feed, like all the people being impacted and that's impacting you. That's certainly not very helpful either. Yeah. And I think, again, it's giving yourself permission to take care of yourself, however works for you, right? Like, you know, with my coaching clients, I, I, I give them a spread of opportunities of how they could take care of themselves, because what works for me is not potentially going to work for somebody else, right? And so this is one of these things where I tell people, try different things, right? Like, for me, I like to journal sometimes for other people that does not work, right? Some people love to meditate, I can't meditate longer than a minute, or I, I like, go insane, right? And so it really is, I think people think there's like some magic strategy to dealing with our emotions and feelings. It's like, no, it's really about getting in tune with what works for you. Yeah. And I think it's important for leaders of teams to give the space to their employees and, and recognize that, hey, they, they are going to need to process this in different ways and also be there and available to talk through it if that mm -hmm. is the person's chosen way to deal with trauma. Yeah. And I think you bring up a great point, which is that sometimes as leaders, we forget that the, one of the most powerful things that we can do is just ask somebody else how they are feeling and what they need from us. Right. We don't we think we have to be magic solvers. Right. We think we have to have the magic solution and walk into that conversation and just like already know how to fix it. But sometimes it's just so much more powerful to say, hey, what do you need? How can I empower you to thrive? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is so important because, again, everyone deals with this differently. Asking is really the best way to know what someone really needs. And if they don't know, that's okay as well. Maybe that's just that they need different resources, different times, and offering them the opportunity to connect with other folks might be helpful. Absolutely. Um, so as our last thing before we wrap up this episode, we had talked a while ago about pay transparency laws, especially in California that were just starting, and now they're out. So we wanted to quickly revisit how are those going? And so um, Jordana had actually gone and pulled up a, a few different uh, job descriptions. So do you want to share some of the uh, insights that you found? Yeah, so these are for roles based out of California or from companies headquartered in California. So interestingly, I, I got a range, especially from the fan companies, and they they kind of take interesting approaches depending on how their pay is structured. For example, Netflix pays all cash, so they don't have any equity or bonuses. And for many of their roles, they have such a wide range. 
there's this one principal engineering role that I pulled up that advertises 90K to 900K. To me, it does seem surprising because it is a principal level engineering role. And I can't imagine someone taking the offer at 90K. So I, I think the question for me, if I were a candidate, I'm like, is this genuinely how much someone in this role could get paid? Or was there some other motivation behind why it's such a wide range? Um, Perhaps they didn't want to give away the pay ban for people who are at the principal level. On the other hand, when I look at other large companies like Google, Meta, even Stripe, a lot of it is just base pay. It is looking at the base salary. And the when I look at the ranges, I'm like, yeah, they seem a lot more realistic. One thing, though, they don't include is bonus, equity, and benefits. And those are the people pieces that typically when you go into a conversation uh, where you need to negotiate, those are the pieces that move the most. And so I think it's interesting to see that ranges for, for equity is not listed. Yeah. So I think you touched on a couple interesting things, right? So going back to the Netflix one, uh, L- L7, right, a principal engineer at no company, if they're based in the U.S., especially in California, nobody's ever going to be paid 90K. Like, let's let's just be clear. Like, an entry-level engineer is most likely paid over 100K. So the, the fact that the range is that wide is basically making it useless for everybody. And the whole point of these transparency laws was to try to provide equity, right? But even then going to the other companies, right? Right. And again, going back to what the law actually states, the law only talks about base pay. The law actually does not say you have to be transparent with bonus equity and benefits. And so the other companies are following in line with that. But, you know, like, as you said, really, it's that bonus equity and benefits where people usually negotiate anyways. And so is this actually helping anybody in the tech industry? I'm not actually sure that this is helping inclusion or diversity, really. If anything, it allows other companies to see what their competitor might be offering. And I can see a situation where that puts upward or downward pressure, depending on what the economy is going through and where the industry is at. Because now they're not talking behind the scenes or maybe colluding in any way. It's like they can see this up front. And I I wouldn't be surprised if companies kind of look at each other and say, oh, Google seems to have reduced their uh, base compensation. Maybe we should go ahead and do that. It's kind of like the whole layoff situation. Oh, we saw one company do it. I guess we may as well jump on the bandwagon. So I'm very curious how this will play out in the long run and also whether or not it will be enforced. Yes, I think both of these are going to be really interesting and may have us do another check-in on this in another six months to a year to see how these things are going. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, stay tuned. And, you know, we've just spent some time talking about layoffs and pay transparency laws, and we're really excited for this upcoming season of the Retaining Whip podcast. Well, we have some amazing guests lined up, and we're also going to have some conversations about topics like generative AI and and how ChatGPT is changing things. So excited to be uh, doing the rest of the season. We also have some fantastic guests lined up, so I'm looking forward to all the conversations we'll be having this season. Awesome. I'll be sure to tune in to our upcoming episodes. Thank you. See ya. 
This podcast comes to you in collaboration with the SheTO community. Did you know that less than 9% of engineering exec roles are held by women? SheTO is on a mission to change that. SheTO is a private network for women and non-binary engineering leaders with the goal of accelerating careers of our members and building their high-powered network. Learn more at sheto.org. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of the Retaining Wit podcast. You can keep up with our episodes at retainingwit.com, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast shows. Please be sure to subscribe and leave a review so we can grow our audience. Thank you.